happy to have you joining me this week, my friends, with the first podcast that I'm publishing in 2021. Today, I am joined by Stacy Bryuka, licensed clinical social worker, master's in public health, and tech geek, who is becoming a good friend as she helps me find my way through the maze of technology to put pieces together and run a business online. Stacy and I connect on many levels as she, through her work in social work, helps the individuals, their families, their communities, and through the perspective of public health, serves communities, states, takes a look at legislation and the way that the actions of government impact the health of our people here in the U.S. and even reaching around the world. And these are really important perspectives today in particular as we continue to navigate the crisis of COVID-19. And so as we discuss matters of mental health and of public health, it's hard not to delve into this topic. And so wherever you happen to land in terms of your point of view in the best way to move through this situation and what's best for the health, not only of ourselves, but of our communities, it can be a loaded conversation. And so I hope that you will enter into this with an open mind. And even if perhaps you don't agree with the opinions that we share here in the conversation, in this time when there is so much division and polarization, and it seems like we have forgotten how to have a conversation with someone that we don't agree with, perhaps this is an opportunity to practice listening and trying to relate to someone else's point of view. And I hope that moving forward, we can cultivate these skills again and get better at finding common ground, at respecting people and differing opinions, and understanding that when we add perspective, when we can step back from a situation, and when we can look beyond our immediate needs and desires, there's usually a pretty clear answer, which is the best path forward. And so I hope that you enjoy this conversation. Would love to hear your take on it. You're always welcome to reach out to me through our website, happifiedlife.com, and contact me there. Wishing you health and happiness and abundance in the new year. And always, thanks for joining us. Living in a stressful world doesn't mean you have to give up on happiness. Instead, you can shift your perspective of stress and discover how to live your life in flow. Welcome to Happified. I'm your host, Susie Vine. Join me for inspiration and interviews with folks who are shining their light in the world in the areas of positive mindset, health, and wellness. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome back. Everybody, I'm so happy, I can't even tell you, to have with me today the phenomenal and multi-talented Stacy Bryuka. Stacy is a self-proclaimed geek girl, having worked with computers and gadgets for over 40 years. She is also a 25-plus year practicing clinical therapist and public health professional. If I got to go to school forever, guys, this is what I would be. So I'm so excited to have this conversation today with Stacy and let my little public health heart geek out. She's a technology therapist, AKA productivity coach, who also happens to, as I was saying, continue to practice in clinical therapy. And she's in Kansas City, Missouri, 
and serves entrepreneurs, coaches, authors, healers, wellness professionals, and businesses, helping them increase their productivity by using the right technology tools to fit them, as well as everything else she does to help support balance and wellness in the world at large. Stacy, thank you for joining me. Lizzie, I am super excited to geek out public health and wellness with you. <laughs> it's obviously a love that we both share. Exactly. Geek Girls Unite. We're on a mission to save the world and bring down the stress while we do it. We're on a mission to make sure, yeah, the world is going to be able to save itself when we're done. Yeah, that's what it's about. It's about empowering people. The world needs to be able to save <laughs> itself. Mm -hmm. And then our work will be done, but not until. We've got a little bit to do. We have got some work. So... First of all, I would love for you to share. So you've been in um, social work for quite some time. And then more recently, you expanded your focus to public health. Can you share why you felt that was an important piece to bring in? Mm -hmm. uh, let me actually go back just a little bit before that. So you can hear the, the origin story. Part of it is I was going to be an engineer out of high school, partly because of my love of all, thing, all things super geeky and technology. But life happened. And so since life took me, let's take this curve, it put me from the idea of being an engineer to I wanted to help people. First, I went, looked at nursing. That didn't fit quite right. And so then I'm like, found this thing called social work. And I'm like, oh, oh, I like, I've done stuff like, I know how to do that already. You know, it was one of those, oh, the light bulb went off and everything fit. And so I was always meant to be a social worker. But I realized it didn't mean I had to leave the engineering part of my brain behind because I became a human services engineer. I began doing problem solving with humans. So problem solving and caring for humans as opposed to problem solving about ceramic engineering. And so that's where the, the first diversion happened. And so practiced in the mental health field primarily, uh, mostly with families and elementary age kids, even middle school kids. Um, so anywhere from the littles at four or five years old up through the teenagers. Got really, really good at teenagers, especially middle schoolers. Maybe way more than I ever wanted to be better at middle schoolers and teenagers. <laughs> They thrive with creative problem solving. Sometimes the littles were much more fun, but then again, I was good at the teenagers. So did a lot of work with teens and mental health. And then another shift came along, a job change that put me into working in the local American Indian Center here in Kansas City, uh, Kansas City Indian Center. Now it's what it's called and became their mental health coordinator, their mental health director, their mental health therapist, everything mental health they had there, and was there for a while, began doing some coordination down the street with a brand new program that was coming along called All Nations Breath of Life. It was a smoking cessation program that became Program in American Indian Community Health, which later became the Center for American Indian Community Health. So I went from working with American Indians and mental health to then another job change that moved me down the street to working in that program itself instead of just coordinating with them. And I started working with, uh, I moderated tons of focus groups about breast cancer, American Indian women and mammograms and breast cancer, colon cancer, families, lots of different people. So I started working in the public health sphere and that piqued my interest in, hey, wait a minute, Here's even more scientific problem solving about people's wellness. Yes. 
So as a social worker, we practice from the individual level with an individual human being to then the families, you know, couples and then families and then groups and then communities. Okay. Come to find out there's this group called public health and they practice from the group level, then communities, then really legislative bodies and policy, global or international public health, and then seriously global when you talk about environmental health. So basically the universe. And I'm like, hmm, if I had both of these and they fit together like this, Mm -hmm. their shared values are very compatible. Their ways of doing things are very compatible. Yes, they have some, there are differences in the two professions. Um, I've wondered for a long time why we don't do more together, but that's a thing for another day. But they're very compatible. I'm like, hmm, if I get a degree here, I can work from the individual level all the way up to the planetary level. And I always have had the ability to see impacts from here down to here, from here up to here, and, you know, see how things were connected. I've been a connector all my life. And so that's, that's what happened. My boss pulls my arm behind my back and it's like, hey, why don't you get an MPH? I'm like, okay, sure. (laughs) And was potentially on the way to a doctorate in health literacy and social media, because that became an interest, bringing back my tech love and health literacy, because health literacy is something that is a core social determinant of health. So it's a, a core thing that is underlying all of our wellness and health. Your health literacy is not just knowing about your own health. It's also knowing how to maneuver health systems, knowing how to read a pamphlet about heart disease and understand it instead of it being gobbledygook. The field of health literacy is actually even how to analyze web pages and documents and this, that, and the third, and tell how appropriate it is for someone. Mm -hmm. And literacy is not just prose literacy in whether you can read at a third grade level or a seventh grade level or a 12th grade level. It is also which kinds of graphics are best for the general population to read. How much white space should there be? How many words should there be on a presentation? It's about so many things you would just, it would blow your mind, right? So I got really deep into health literacy. I was also working on how social media and health literacy could work together. Mm-hmm. I actually went on to author a course with A.T. Still University, who I still teach for. I teach public health there. Authored a course called Community Health and Social Media that I have helped revise and still teach because community health, public health, and social media have some work to do together. And prior to that class, it was people in public. We were just starting to look at social media as a form of health education as a platform for our health education. We weren't using it yet. And now, you know, it's, we're using it a lot this year. Yeah. (laughs) And, and actually it makes me wonder how many of my previous students who have been through that course, especially when I first started it, how many of them are out in the field going, Hey, I'm glad I learned this. I hope that some of the seeds I helped them plant and grow Mm -hmm. have helped them be able to help people with COVID as we've gone. Exactly. Or dial down the fear because of this unknown factor that to dial down the fear by putting out appropriate health literate material Mm -hmm. that everyone can understand and read with good guidelines of the main stuff we need to be doing, like wearing masks, not to protect us. The masks are to protect other people from the germs that are in here. 
I won't go whatever on it, ballistic <laughs> on it, but that's, you know, yes. wearing masks, social distancing six feet apart all the time, except for who's in your bubble in your house, washing your hands and not associating with everybody right now until we can get this damn thing under control. So that the rest of us can get on about our regular lives, right? So that then all of us can get through our lives. I, I, I understand, I, you know, just yesterday in my social media feed, I had posted a public health piece of, you know, uh, here's a PSA from Stacy about public health to my personal audience. And of course, someone got all in their feels and no, it should this and this. And they started posting things. And I said, well, I appreciate you being passionate. However, that is not peer reviewed scientific material. Passion does not equal science, guys. Mm -hmm. And that's so important to take away. Passion is important, but science. But science, there's a process. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, yes. Now, I, I'm going to also have to say, as a public health professional and as several of my colleagues and I more recently um, got together in a meeting and we were discussing the sadness we all have that we had the opportunity at the beginning of this year, public health leadership of various organizations, high, high levels, became politicized as opposed to actually stepping up to the public health obligation that we all have. The leadership of some large organizations did not step it mm -hmm. up. They allowed the politicalization of their space. And because of that, it has made public health as a profession look like crap. And for me to have to defend how someone else's right to wear a mask or not, and I'm going to use it because it's a, a good example, your right to wear that mask or not stops becoming your right when you're breathing out something that can kill me. Your right stops then. You have the right to not wear it, but you do not have the right to be in a public place and exude something from your body that that knowingly can make can kill me no different than if you were to take a knife out and stab me and i don't want people to i am at you know because here i'm going to go back on the soapbox of number one not a, just as a social worker but as a public health professional i am for the constitution every bit of it i'm for the first amendment the same as i am the second the same as i am the 19th Three of my favorites. I am for all three of them very much on purpose. I want the right to vote. I do want the right to carry a firearm and I want the right to free speech. However, my right ends if I am causing someone else harm or death. Now, my right to carry that firearm, using it in self-defense, you know, it, that withstanding, and I understand the two argument there. I still want the right to carry it. I do not have the right to just go, hey, I don't like Susie. Bang. Right? So why would I say, well, I don't want to wear this mask. So I'm going to be around Susie and <laughs> breathe on her. And and why? If I were to Especially know. Especially given the our society right now where there are alternatives. If you If you cannot wear a mask, you can have your groceries delivered. And, and. The other argument that generally comes into play has to do with sim being symptomatic or asymptomatic. Right, as we're recognizing that the asymptomatic carriers are such a big factor. And let's call this a health literacy lesson. 
we shouldn't be using the word symptomatic and asymptomatic because guess what? Too many syllables, (laughs) too many syllables. Again, with the accessibility of the health literacy, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Everyone should understand symptomatic means you can tell that you are sick. Asymptomatic means you might be sick, but you might not know. Okay. Why did we not start with those definitions instead of using the large words and thusly saying you could be sick, but not know it. And therefore to protect everyone around you, put something over your face when you are in those areas. Mm -hmm. If you're in a parking lot and nobody's closer than six feet to you, take your mask off. Oh my gosh. Take the thing off. I it's, it's, I don't want to make anyone else sick because of something I've done no more than, you know, another public health issue. Let's, let's put another one there. Drink and drive. Right. Should you knowingly get in a vehicle and operate a vehicle when you are intoxicated and you know you could kill someone? Right. We can all say the answer is no. Should you put a baby in a car without a car seat? Right. Should you leave a baby unattended next to a swimming pool? I mean, we could go on and on and on about public health impacts where our behavior impacts someone else's safety and or potential fatality. And, and really it does boil down to that, exactly. you know, and, and it's really, it's really obviously because I've become impassioned here. <laughs> it's really about taking care of each other so we can get through this because, you know, the sooner we could get through it, obviously the better for all of us. I don't think anybody truly loves just being stuck at home. It's certainly not sustainable. It's not sustainable over the long term, but it also is easier to do than say a hundred years ago because we do have the opportunity to order groceries online and have them delivered to our house. No contact. People who are working doing that can have limited contact so that they keep themselves safe. You know, there's, you can still work a job and stay safe. I think losing track of that, um, the value of collective well-being, right? I think that we've lost sight of there's benefit in doing what's best for the whole. And that perspective that comes from public health is so valuable. Like you say, like from social work, you're in the one-on-one and how people can solve this situation that's right in front of them. But preventing that situation from affecting the population is the public health influence. That's the power of having these in place. Right. And the behaviors from the individual impact the whole. Exactly. The behaviors from the whole impact the individual. And it, it does flow back and forth, folks. None of us live on an island. So we do impact. And, and Frank, okay, maybe all of us live on an island and it's called Earth. <laughs> the island is called Earth. We all live on this one planet at the moment. At the moment, none of us are living on other bodies in, in space. But at the moment, we all live on this one planet. We all only have this one planet. And we all only have each other to survive because of and with. Why in the world would we want to kill each other? Mm, you're going to get a whole new episode started off right there. We might have to table that. Why don't we do what's better for the collective than not, right? right. As we continue doing things that are comfortable rather than the things that we can 
visibly see that science has proven are going to move us in a better, more sustainable well, direction. We all know adulting sucks, at least those of us who are adults. We know that it sucks, right? <laughs> this is just another type of, it's another level of adulting. That's why you resonated with the teenagers. You know, Adulting is not easy. I mean, we thought we had it tough when we were kids, yeah. but when I hang with my nieces and nephews, I'm like, do you realize it only gets more complicated? Now we know why they always told us to enjoy it while we could. <laughs> Boy, if we would have only listened. If only we knew. Right. But I, I love that interplay, right? That flow, because it really is all connected. And maybe it's empowering if we take that point of view that the little things that we do that we feel are insignificant are not insignificant. Because if everybody takes right action, we can move towards greater good. Even to the point of intention, our thoughts. I mean, we could go down a huge, huge rabbit hole with that one. But just our intention and our thought and how that energy exudes from us to the other person, even on camera. Technology does not keep us from being able to pass our energies back and forth to each other. Mm -hmm. Because I can, I can tell right now, I could like tell that you and I are both in this excited moment of yes, yes, yes. You know that feeling when you hear it just inside, if nothing's going on, you might be watching a movie and you just all of a sudden have that feeling of <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Internally, I could see that in you. Yes. The only thing we can't do is hug each other. Right. But we can transcend separation and still have connection. And still have intimate connection. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and we can foster this. Mm -hmm. mm. So how, um, I'm going to try to get back to some questions. We're just going to go on tangents all day and, and hot button topics too. And, and I don't want to like make this a polarizing issue. It should never have been a polarizing issue to begin with. But in your experience, in your perspective, in the people that you serve and in your community, in terms of the effect of COVID, mm -hmm. what, are, what emotions are you seeing in the people that you're supporting and moving through this right now? So that I can come at several perspectives of that. So first off, I'd probably say that the people who I have been providing mental health services to, people who I have on a, a caseload doing therapy with, and I have watched um, several of them go into, and I think I can also take this and describe it as kind of a population level, because I think similarly to large events like 9-11, JFK's assassination, Martin Luther King's assassination, COVID is a collective human experience that the first thing we all felt was, uh, uh, what is this? Oh my gosh. So shock and then fear. And then the next thing we felt was a sense of what do we do now, like being lost. Um, and then some of the mm -hmm. maybe even anger, but grieving, you know, um, and I'm not even talking about people dying yet. And we're already into grieving. Because we've lost our whole, our bearings, our way of life. So we've, we, we, you know, suddenly, suddenly lost our daily routines. Exactly. Everyone exactly. collectively. So if you think about the feeling, that feeling of loss multiplied times, however many people are on the planet all at once and the energy that that put out and put back to us. Yes. So the fear and, and anger and, and then, and then the starting to be by yourself and alone loneliness and depression. And then the questioning and the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it, and it cycles as depression and fear and depression and fear and depression and fear and oh, over and over and depression, anxiety, and fear, really kind of all of those things over and over that collectively and people who didn't normally feel like they had anxiety, even though interesting stat, 
three out of four adults in America experience at some time in their life some form of anxiety prior to COVID. Three out of four prior to COVID. Three out of now four. Now we're here. Not insignificant. And yeah. I would say, I would hazard a guess that it would be hard to find someone who very seriously did not have stressors, anxiety, fear, depression, loneliness, some sorry, type of elevated emotion that they did not have ever in their life prior to. Especially after this sustained period of sustained period uncertainty. Of right. So we're going through this over this long haul. We're all feeling the same feelings. Then you layer on the lovely piece of people dying way earlier in their life than they should have. Mm -hmm. That puts, and that you can't grieve the same way that you would normally. Yes, exactly. Whether somebody's dying of COVID or dying of natural other causes. Somebody, you have a family member die and guess what? You can't go to a normal funeral. Right. The community cannot come and support you in the way that they would. At whatever point that whether you could even go to the hospital and be with them in the emergency room. I was very lucky recently when a family member passed that I was able to go into that emergency room and be with the, the bit of family that was there mm-hmm. for that. I should never have to count that that was luck. Right. Right. But I have to frame it that way because just a couple of months prior might not have been able to go to the emergency room at all. And that mm-hmm. person would have been alone. And there are still people very much, especially if they, if it's because of COVID very much dying alone. Imagine being the healthcare worker who is the one who has to hold the telephone up for a video call with a loved one to someone who is not responsive and you know is going to die or is dying. Imagine doing that multiple times a day as the healthcare worker. Exactly. And if that's not enough reason to lower the number of cases by wearing a mask, I don't know what is. As the daughter of a nurse, I have to say that regular, again, regular times, regular levels of stress for healthcare workers are monumental. The reason I talk about stress is because I watched how it shaped my mother's life and her current health situation. And now these people who do not get to call in, who do not have the choice, who do not get to work from home, but have to hold that phone, right? These are the people, again, like talk about that collective experience of stress, of grief, of and then turning up the next day to do it all again. Oh, yeah. And sometimes double shifts yeah. and not being able to go home to their families and recharge because they're afraid to give their families anything. So they might be staying in an RV in the driveway or staying at the facility. Then let's throw something else on top of it. Maybe they get COVID because of their exposure and then they're dying long before they need to. So if we come back to the science (laughs) and share a consistent message, and I think that's part of what's been so difficult is it's been easy for people to, air quotes, filter their information and say, I don't believe that. It's, It's not a belief. It's belief is for spirituality, church, religion, and whatever a higher power you believe in, even believing in feelings or love or things you can, you know, whatever. Facts are things that have been scientifically proven. They're not beliefs and you've heard it enough so that it becomes fact. It has been proven by science by a method that is always the same, consistent, and repeated over and over with enough sample size and avoiding bias. And, you know, if you want to learn about the process, get a science degree. So you do understand if that's what it takes, if it, if what it takes is all of us to go back to science class 
and learn, then that's what it takes. But science is what a fact comes from. And there is science behind the three consistently stated public health safety precautions, behaviors that we need to have to keep other people safe from what's inside our bodies. Wash your hands, stay six feet apart, and wear a mask when you're inside close to people. Three things. It seems like a message that we shouldn't be so easily able to complicate. But I, and and, and just to, to sum that up, I think it's important to recognize but it, that. But it has. But yeah, yeah, science is facts that haven't been disproven yet. Are, are, are masks uncomfortable? Oh, heck yeah. Does it cause trouble to breathe? Heck yeah. Is it hot? Yes. Is it, do we want to wear them? I don't think I know anybody who wants to wear one. No, we don't want to wear them. So why don't we get through things as best we can so that we can, you know, I don't want to ever be known as the person who passed something on that killed someone's grandma. Or I don't want to be the one who kills someone's mom or mommy or baby. I don't want to be the one, whether I knew it or not, to kill someone's child because I inadvertently passed something to them. Whether or not you want to point the finger at, well, pre-existing conditions or this, that, or the other. Because the state of health on the whole in our country is something that's been too easy before this year to ignore. The pandemics that we deal with, a lot of it comes from things that the public health field addresses, right? Environmental health. It is really hard to overcome the way the deck is stacked if you grow up in a community that has less resources and that has been inflicted with industrial populations, right? I was going to say you have environmental health that impacts whether certain viruses get out in the world. And then you have situations where access to care involves whether somebody, you know, a population group gets health or not. You've got social determinants because did you know that the zip code you were born in prior to COVID, the zip code you were born in says more about how long you're going to live your life than anything else. I absolutely believe that. And why isn't this a conversation that is more widely discussed, right? Because I happen to be passionate because of my own personal experience about the health due to our environment. And again, it's swept under the rug. It's not a headline. And it's not just the physical environment. It's the access to the exactly. care. It's, and it's the poverty. Where you're able to get your groceries. And it led paint in old houses where people don't have any other choice but to live there they don't have a fancy new house they um they get what they get you know the schools that the children are sitting in you know let's think about detroit and water the school district you're sitting in how much education you can get whether you can get a job making more money whether your kids can get a job making more money whether you get to go to school or not to understand science there's so many layers it's not even I wouldn't even say an onion and I would not even really say a piece of baklava with little thin (laughs) layers. I think we'd have to have a mile high piece of baklava to have all the layers. Yes. It would taste yummy as heck, but you know, it also would, that wouldn't be good for us either. (laughs) We don't have to gather around the table to dive into that. We'd have plenty of time to talk. Right. Or let's think of one of the big sequoias with how many rings does it have? Maybe that's a better, maybe that's a better analogy been shaped by thousands of years of that environment, right? And, you know, to be fair, our socialization and our behaviors are also connected, and we have too. 
and different cultures, we have been socialized to the things that we're, we're doing. Um, but we also have survived many, many things as humans and can survive this. I think we could survive COVID. My question is, can we survive each other's divisiveness and hatred about X, Y, or Z? That's really my bigger question. Yeah. Coming back to that whole attitude with which we approach things, right? And how much of an impact it has on the other. We care for each other, you know? Why would I have, why would I even think about that my health is better than Susie Vine's health? It's not even a question for me. It's Susie's health is just as important as mine for a variety of reasons. One, I don't want to lose her. Exactly. And even if I didn't know her. I wouldn't want a, another human, another being to have to die. Thank you, because it's not a question. It's not a, a question of choosing whose is more important than it's equal. It's all equal. Yeah. Everyone deserves equal access to care, to resources, to education, to, right? We all breathe air. We all drink water. We all bleed red. We are all, we are all connected. And... We go deeper than that. We are connected also to all of the other animals, plants, birds, everything on this planet is intimately connected. Exactly. If we want to keep eating, we better take care of our planet. <laughs> if we want anything, we better take care of it. Um, if we want to keep breathing, if we want to keep eating, if we want to have energy at all, if we want to have the resources we have already taken and put together and done with and whatever... We've got to take care of everything better. We have to become more stewards and less stealers. Mm -hmm. I'll keep that one. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. So what are some yeah. of your favorite resources for information these days? Where do you go? Um, for public health information, even though the leadership issues may be there, the WHO and the CDC are still the best places for statistical research. Um, John, Johns Hopkins has some of the best COVID data that there is for talking COVID specific, uh, mental health. I would look at mental health America and I would look at a program called mental health first aid as well. I would highly, highly recommend wherever you are, search out mental health first aid, look for a class near you. And just like you can become certified in first aid, as far as where you can put a bandaid on the right place, or, you know, to put pressure on a wound or what have you, you can also become certified as a mental health first aider. You do not have to have any special degrees, any special qualifications, just being an adult who is concerned about their fellow human beings and wants to study the material, go through the class. And I believe there's a test of some sort. Uh, I know there is actually, because I used to be a certified trainer in the program. I actually have a five video series on my YouTube channel that we can link that is from 2016 when I took over mental health first aids Twitter channel for a week. Um, and I think I actually broke it because I don't think they did one after I did it. <laughs> that was the first one. And um, I think I set the bar somewhere. It was like way too, somewhere. yeah. Um, because I was involved, very involved that week. And I did a Basically, I did a five-day challenge about mental health first aid. You're the one that started it. And I didn't even know it. So five short five short little videos about what mental health first aid is. Um, but I would encourage anybody to go look that up, get certified in mental health first aid, because you don't know who you're going to help, when, where, and how. Truly. And, and it's so true. Uh, there are just things that are not 
in our wheelhouse, right? That we don't have the experience to know the best way to come in, but with some information, with some more literacy, how much more help could we provide? How much could we be the one person to make the one, you know, to reach out our hand at the right time? And therapist is not going to necessarily be the one to see someone who is in a mental health right. crisis. I'm going to say probably nine times out of 10. No, let's go 99 out of 100. It's going to be a family member, a friend, a stranger on the street even, who is going to be able to make the difference from someone living their life and potentially even dying by suicide or harm to someone else. It literally, it could be anyone that makes that difference. And that program is amazing because of it. It's also amazing because it helps talk about mental health to decrease the stigma because there are many words that we use in our society that have power that create and continue stigma. So true. Not talking about mental health creates and continues stigma. And the more of us that get that little bit of information and learn about it, you don't have to be a therapist. You don't have to be a public health professional. You don't have to be anyone but a caring human being to, to do that. So that would be my biggest piece of advice to. to mm, I love that. I had no idea that existed. So thank you. Thank you for making that shift. Let's all be a better neighbor and go check out some mental health first aid. I'm so excited to share that. Beautiful. And we'll be, it'll be in the show notes with the podcast too. So mm -hmm. we need to spread this word. Oh, I love it. I'm so sorry. I have to wrap things up for today to keep this short and digestible, but obviously we've got a couple more avenues we can explore in the future. We might have to do this again. So we'll leave that installment today. Everybody's got a little bit of homework. Check out the mental first aid and see what's going on near you and be a better neighbor. Yeah. I love it. Thank you, Stacy, for your time, for your insights and wisdoms and for carrying your work forward in all the different aspects that you do. Thank you. Until next time, my dear, you take good care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in today. Check out the show notes for any links we mentioned. To learn more about living life with less stress and more flow, visit happifiedlife.com. And if you found value in today's episode, make sure you subscribe to catch the next one and leave a review to help fellow pod surfers find Happified. Until next time, keep on shining.